Hello to our listeners and welcome to the latest edition of the Bicom podcast. I'm Roni Gazit coming to you from London and I'm delighted to be joined by General Asaf Orion in this week's episode. As a brief introduction, General Orion is a retired Israeli brigadier general and defense strategist whose research focuses on Israel's regional political military strategy and policy. During his career in the IDF, General Orion was responsible for strategic policy formulation, international cooperation, and military diplomacy. He now serves as the Liz and Moni Reuven International Fellow with the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. Upon his retirement from the IDF in 2016, General Orion joined the Institute for National Security Studies, INSS, in Tel Aviv, where he now serves as a senior research fellow. General Orion, thank you so much for joining us on this week's edition of the BICOM podcast. I'm speaking to you on Thursday, August 12th, and if we can start this discussion with Lebanon. In your assessment, just how bad is the domestic situation there? Can a new government be formed, and is that what needed to save Lebanon from what it's currently experiencing? With Lebanon, it's always uh, a challenge to understand what's going on. But uh, I would propose to uh, uh, observe the occurrences there uh, between two organizing themes. One is a failed state in which you see the deterioration of the exchange rates, of the fuel availability, of medicine, of food scarcity, and so on. So it seems that a lot of people are suffering, there are power shortages and blackouts at nights. So this is pretty real. The fake part is what we uh, all uh, look at as uh, the uh, political system in Lebanon. So we are all uh, falling in line behind, uh, let's say, a band of fraudulence who uh, tell us, listen, there are elections and there is cabinet and we are now debating you know, the uh, nominated uh, prime minister will now try to form uh, a cabinet. But in fact, it seems like a big scam uh, to avoid accountability, to keep on uh, using corrupt measures for the elite to enrich itself, uh, to rob the country of uh, its funds, and to elicit more funding and financing, financing from the international community, uh, you know, under help, uh, save Lebanon, pay us for this, pay us for that. But uh, who's getting rich and who's getting poor? Even uh, the, the prime ministerial uh, game seems like uh, some kind of, of, uh, of uh, sting operation. So uh, 
there is uh, uh, there was the um, explosion of the port yeah. last year, August fourth. Uh, then the cabinet resigned. Since then, there is no cabinet. Uh, uh, Premier ex Premier Hariri uh, was assigned to try. He's arguing with uh, so-called President Town for the last year. Uh, finally, they decided they can't uh, make progress. So the premier's uh, circle sat together, uh, decided that uh, who's the duty officer? It will be uh, Mr. Mikati, also ex-premier. And now he is announcing that he will try. And, uh, you know, looking forward for the uh, elections in May. And uh, look, there is one... Uh, or uh, or two uh, very clear export uh, products of Lebanon. One is uh, running away from accountability, and the other is procrastination. So even uh, from 2005, there was uh, a special tribunal for the assassination of uh, 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 Premier uh, Hariri, the father. The father. Yes, Rafik al-Hariri. Uh, it's been now 16 years. And uh, the tribunal has run out of funds. $40 million a year. The, the uh, perpetrators are still at large if they were not killed by their uh, partners from uh, Iran and Hezbollah. But this is another uh, example of no results. And the uh, investigation committee on the port ex explosion is just the same. So we need to understand, yes, people are suffering, but the, the upper tier is actually running a very advanced theater for us to watch and keep on donating. Mm -hmm. So if we perhaps shift now to the security perspective. We've seen over recent weeks this phenomenon of Palestinian groups launching rockets towards Israel. But then last Friday, we saw that Hezbollah did in fact launch rockets towards Israel. Um, some were shot down, landed in open areas, didn't even make it past the border. So from your perspective, how concerned are you about this escalation? And to what extent do you think, if any, that Hassan Nasrallah is testing Prime Minister Naftali Bennett? Uh, I, I wouldn't take it, uh, although it's very tempting to look at it uh, from you know, personal and individual uh, uh, spectacles. I don't think it's personal. Let's look at the structure. We're 15 uh, years after uh, the end of the Second Lebanon War in two days, uh, August 14. And uh, since then, we've seen general calm, which is a good thing. No new war since 2006. And at the same time, we see a huge buildup of Hezbollah's military power. And Hezbollah, which in 2006, had around uh, 12,000 uh, rockets, uh, most of them short range and some of them uh, mid and, and long in Israeli terms, mm -hmm. uh, missiles and rockets. It is now more than a dozen times 
uh, stronger in numbers and also in, qual in quality. Mm -hmm. um, we, uh, for a very long time, uh, speak about uh, mutual deterrence and uh, the lack of interest of both sides to go to war. But uh, occasionally and gradually, we see uh, an increase in the number of, uh, I can say, fuses leading to this powder keg. It used to be, let's say, tactical friction. Then uh, Nasrallah said, if you kill one of ours in, uh, in Syria, we will kill one of yours. And they tried several times. Uh, back in 2013, they said, if you strike Lebanese land, we will retaliate. Now, recently, more recently, uh, we hear of the advances of the uh, accuracy or precision uh, project, which is a great concern in Israel. Uh, so that's another we saw uh, two years ago, uh, late uh, August, um, a reported drone attack in Beirut, which uh, drew uh, some retaliation from uh, Hezbollah. And recently, most recently, we saw the Gaza uh, campaign in which at least three, on three occasions, we had rocket fire into Israel. And we said, okay, this is Hamas trying to open another flank. Uh, we, we also uh, uh, were on the receiving end of incoming rockets from Syria, of an incoming drone from Iraq through Jordan, all coming into Israel. And uh, the end of the Gaza conflict uh, was celebrated by what we call the axis of resistance. Yes, Iran, uh, Hezbollah, the Iraqi, Hajj al-Shabi, um, those in Syria, and, uh, and the Yemenites, uh, Houthis, uh, all saying, okay, uh, next time, every Israeli aggression in Jerusalem uh, might risk a regional war. So we are seeing an integration or, or the axis coming together. Yeah. And, and indeed, on uh, August, on uh, July 20th, we were again uh, witnessing uh, a Palestinian uh, rocketry, perhaps because uh, it was two days after uh, Tisha B'Av when uh, Jews uh, went to Temple Mount, or it was uh, several hours after an Israeli strike in Syria which is also a possibility. And uh, Israel uh, responded with some artillery fire. And then on August 4th, we suddenly uh, saw uh, more launches and we say, well, those might be Palestinians, but they are shooting from areas which Hezbollah uh, holds a good grip on. So they probably allow it. So Israel's response this time was uh, higher, a higher grade, several salvos, of artillery, but also an airstrike, which is a new thing at, from at least eight years. Yeah. And Hezbollah said, don't you remember our red line? You can't strike in Israel. And here I show you. And uh, they, they uh, actually claimed responsibility for a salvo of 19 rockets, uh, documented, you know, full video clip. And then on the way out, they uh, encountered some uh, local resistance or opposition from the uh, uh, Druze uh, people of, of the village of uh, Shuaya, which uh, who, who didn't like you know, Hezbollah using their turf uh, to launch rockets at, uh, at Israel. So I would say a lot of brinkmanship, mm -hmm. 
testing the water, too many moving parts, too many, many connecting uh, uh, fuses, which might ignite the whole thing despite both sides uh, will to avoid uh, wide escalation. So yes, we're staring at uh, a grimmer and grimmer situation. You touched on exactly my next question, which is the video footage that we saw of these Druze villagers pushing back against Hezbollah um, being on, on their turf, like you said. How significant do you think that is and that imagery and that resistance is to Israel's calculation um, and perhaps engagement with Hezbollah? Does it change the thinking within the security establishment, seeing more resistance to Hezbollah within Lebanon openly? Um, well, you read some uh, critique in Lebanon against uh, Hezbollah and um, more and more people actually recognize that this uh, axis of resistance is an, uh, uh, an axis of darkness because there are uh, power uh, shortages and blackouts from Iran through Iraq, uh, through Syria, through Lebanon, and, and, uh, and Yemen don't even think about electricity. So mm -hmm. what does this uh, axis bring? Poverty, uh, corruption, uh, uh, lack of uh, uh, governance, um, militia galore. Uh, we don't recognize an effective uh, pushback or even a uh, counterbalance to Hezbollah's military force in, in Lebanon. Um, my best understanding is that uh, Hezbollah is now the dominant power broking, uh, bro broker in Lebanon. No one can compete uh, with Hezbollah uh, on an armed uh, on armed terms, like arm on arm, uh, not even the Lebanese armed forces. Mm -hmm. And uh, look at the wake of uh, this incident you just uh, described. Um, the local Druze uh, didn't like it uh, that they used their village and so on uh, for even even for transit. They be became uh, a bit aggressive. So pushed around the Hezbollah operatives and, and so on. Uh, the Lebanese armed forces came and took both the truck and uh, the militants. But within 24 hours, they were at large and back at home celebrating. So we understand that the so-called state of Lebanon, it's a thin veneer, uh, like playing the legitimacy card or facade for Hezbollah, which is a terror organization, a very powerful social movement, a serious uh, military organization. Our IDF colleagues uh, call it a terror army because it's large enough and powerful enough uh, to be considered an army. And yes, you can discern some cracks between publics and elites, including those and those elites, but we don't see this as a serious potential mm -hmm. to profoundly change in a good way uh, the situation in Lebanon. Yeah. So we talked a bit about the Palestinian groups that were launching rockets before Hezbollah got involved. Can you give us any background as to what those groups are, who's making them up, you know, just 
just who are they? The breeding uh, grounds are naturally the refugee camps, Palestinian refugee camps. Uh, I think most of them uh, from uh, 48. Some of them could be fr from 67 if they went through Jordan, because uh, Jordan kicked out the Palestinian militias out of its uh, land in 1970. And uh, Lebanon was very keen to keep the Palestinians uh, without rights, without uh, being able to settle or to make a proper living and so on. So every effort to not to let them integrate into uh, the Lebanese society. And uh, those uh, societies, uh, Palestinian societies, were very fertile uh, ground for Palestinian uh, organizations, like uh, the, all the different uh, fronts, uh, and even to Sunni uh, uh, radical uh, jihadis, um, um, more, more like the derivatives of Al-Qaeda and the family of uh, Al-Qaeda. And, uh, well, everybody in, uh, in Lebanon has a rocket or two to use uh, to express himself. Uh, certainly uh, personal weapons. And uh, every uh, UN report to the Secretary, to, to the Security Council mentions the still ongoing uh, training camps of Palestinian uh, organizations. So this is uh, an, an ongoing thing. Hamas just uh, went to visit both Iran. Have you seen the Raisi inauguration? All the Palestinian resistance groups, Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and others uh, went to Tehran to pay their respects. But also, uh, just after uh, the Gaza operation, Hezbollah boasted that it held an operation uh, room in, from which it assisted Hamas to fight Israel, perhaps with um, intelligence or maybe uh, other other uh, aspects of support. So what we are seeing here is a building up, like uh, this uh, emergence of a more integrated axis of resistance, being able to shoot from many theaters and divert Israel and harass it from multiple frontiers. So if Hamas is uh, disgruntled uh, uh, by or unhappy about what it sees in Cairo talks. And arson balloons are one way of uh, trying to nudge Israel into uh, uh, closer to its positions. Uh, shooting from uh, Lebanon is a very good way to do it. It's also a way for Hezbollah uh, to show its uh, displeasure from the ongoing attacks of Israel in Syria. It's also a way for Iran to distract from its attacks in the Arabian Sea. Right. Uh, to uh, uh, back to uh, the Levant. So you can see convergence of interests. Who decided how and which and what? I'm not sure that we have in open sources. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned um, basically how unhelpful the international community has been in terms of you know giving Lebanon stability, putting it on a better path. From your perspective, what do you think, if anything, should we see from the international community to help stabilize it? Whether we're talking about organizations like the UN or the EU or specific countries that 
have, you know, vested interests there, like France, the United Kingdom, and the United States? I think a, a crucial first step is recognizing reality and not masking it behind smoke screens. Mm -hmm. If you read uh, the Secretary General uh, reports as I do, uh, you often wonder which reality does this describe? So on the one hand, they report all the uh, incidents of uh, rocket fire and attacks and so on that we talked about because these are undeniable. At the same breath, they're saying, oh, we have no evidence of weapons in the South. And they uh, uh, say a lot about the LAF uh, supportive uh, role and so on. Now, there are some the Lebanese benefits. armed forces. Yes, the Lebanese yes. armed forces. Yeah, just for clarity. Uh, now, th there are some, um, let's say, benefits to the activity, definitely pushing away rioters from the border fence. But uh, otherwise, uh, the collaboration between uh, LAF and Hezbollah is very evident. It's very important to recognize that there is a terror organization sitting inside uh, the uh, uh, government of Lebanon, Funct, uh, functional or de defunct. It's very important to designate Hezbollah, all its wings, you know, not this artificial partition between the political wing and the military wing. Even uh, Nasrallah says we are one organization under one command, my command. That's very evident. Yeah. Uh, but uh, diplomats uh, and uh, politicians over the years have uh, uh, chosen uh, not to call a spade a spade. Perhaps, you know, it's a heart. No, it's not. Uh, this is a terror organization fed by Iran, holding much of the country hostage, uh, looting it uh, for its own, uh, own benefit. Uh, attacking UN forces, attacking Israel, uh, uh, committing international uh, terrorism and so on. First of all, recognize it, designate, sanction. Yeah. Uh, if, if people uh, collaborate with, with uh, uh, terrorists, they need to be designated and sanctioned. Mm -hmm. If these people are part of the Lebanese armed forces, same. If these people are part of the so-called government, the same. And so, first of all, it's not really realistic to do the same tricks with the same elite and expect different results. Yeah, That's not going to happen. And we, we need to take the veil off our, uh, off our eyes. What we are seeing in here is not Hezbollah bullying the bank system, but the full collaboration of the bank system within the black economy that Hezbollah is, is running. We need to make sure that no fuel is coming from Iran, uh, I, neither to Lebanon nor to Syria. We need to uh, look at the border areas. And uh, yes, it would be great to uh, get international uh, assistance, but let's get our expectations real. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we need to report honestly at the UN. We need to uh, decrease the funds flowing uh, into uh, uh, areas which we don't want to, like the UN is devoting or investing or uh, using 
500 million dollar a, dollars a year for 10,000 people strong uh, force on the ground, which cannot do what they need to do. And so they're just cannon fodder or hostages uh, to, to Hezbollah. Mm -hmm. So we need, I think, first uh, step to recognize reality for what it is. Then it will be uh, uh, much easier to discuss real uh, and realistic uh, policy options. Yeah. So you talked about um, Iranian involvement in Lebanon, and perhaps we can look at specifically the rockets. You alluded to the precision guided missiles, uh, which is becoming more and more of a concern in Israel, something that you know we at BICOM have also written and spoken about. Can you talk to us perhaps briefly and explain just how easy it is for these terror groups to acquire rockets in Lebanon? Uh, I think we need to differentiate between, uh, let's say, the retail and the wholesale. Mm -hmm. Getting a couple of grads, uh, putting it uh, on the back of uh, a pickup, using some uh, uh, wooden uh, uh, brackets, and uh, launch with the timer. Well, this is part of the Lebanese-Israeli border landscape since the 70s. Like we're, we're talking about a 50-year-old legacy. That's not news. What we do have is a tenfold uh, increase in availability of rockets in Hezbollah's hands uh, since 2006. We've just seen the, uh, the visuals where you see a blue pickup with um, a full cassette of 32 uh, rockets, 122 millimeters. Mm -hmm. So they go like 20 kilometers. Um, he just uh, shoots and scoots. That's the old artillery way. Uh, you park somewhere, you hide somewhere, you get your angle and elevation, you launch and you uh, disappear. That's pretty easy. Uh, but uh, mainly, uh, this is a statistical weapon. So you can uh, use it against very large targets, uh, like a town. So you don't miss a town at night. Uh, but still, this is a statistical weapon. Some of it uh, hits, some of it misses. Uh, out of the 4,000 uh, rockets in, uh, in the Second Lebanon War in 2006, 4% hit uh, buildings. Mm -hmm. About 20% uh, came within the built areas, all the rest missed. Now, what's the, the great uh, importance of precision? Uh, you can take a serious heavy, uh, heavyweight uh, warhead, uh, and instead of shooting uh, 10 rockets to score one impact, you can shoot one and score one impact. That has a very significant uh, meaning for uh, those on the receiving end, definitely our infrastructure uh, uh, areas, our um, uh, power plants, our harbors, our airports, uh, the airfields of, of the Air Force, uh, air defense uh, assets like radars or batteries and so on and so forth. And then by a, a much smaller, much more agile force, you can inflict heavy damage. And 
once they get to a certain amount of this or size of arsenal, it might be tempting for them to consider, well, should we try a first strike? Maybe uh, we can cripple Israel and they can, uh, Israel can hardly hit back uh, effectively. And so just by having it and by Israel's commitment to, uh, to push them back or, or to prevent it, uh, again, this uh, quality uh, leap in munitions uh, actually uh, raises the chances of escalation, of a wide escalation uh, all the way to a war. Yeah. So shifting our attention now to Lebanon's neighbor to the east, we know that Israel and Syria have had this um, mechanism of deconfliction. Um, of Russia, Israel and Russia. Yeah, Israel and Russia. Yeah, Israel and Russia have had this uh, this uh, deconfliction mechanism. Do you see that still working? Uh, to the best of my knowledge, yes. Yeah. Uh, um, at uh, late uh, 2015, like September, that's six years ago, Israel uh, woke up with a new military neighbor on its uh, northeast uh, border. And, uh, you know, watching the neighborhood, you can see uh, what uh, downing a Russian jet uh, may do to your relations with Russia. Ask the Turks. Yeah. They shot down a Sukhoi 24 and got the full treatment from uh, uh, Putin's uh, wrath. Yeah. Uh, Israel was uh, smarter as soon as it learned that uh, Russia is moving in. Uh, we reached out at the strategic level, then the, the armies or the militaries uh, connected. Uh, we had the hotline um, enabling us to uh, say, uh, we're incoming uh, uh, two minutes, it's us, don't fire. Or uh, I'm seeing a target going my way. Is it you before I shoot it down? Mm -hmm. And, and so we even had some incidents in which uh, Russian aircraft came into Israeli airspace and were escorted out uh, with, without uh, taking the, the uh, more difficult path of friction in the air. Yeah. And, and the air uh, tactics are quite lethal. It's not, uh, it's not uh, a tolerant uh, environment. Yeah. So Israel strategically succeeded to, let's say, create a space of understanding between Russia and, uh, and itself, saying, okay, these are our concerns. We're concerned with Iranian entrenchment, with Hezbollah positions, with incoming uh, advanced weapons to, uh, to Syria, which we don't want to see. Uh, we're not uh, here to uh, hurt uh, Russians. We'll be careful not to do it. Uh, we want top of the Assad regime, which the Russians uh, hold dear, or at least uh, they use it un until they uh, uh, think it's expendable. And, uh, and so Israel, for years now, six years, managed to uh, wage its campaign against Iranians and Hezbollah in Syria with very to no friction with the Russians, except one incident. Uh, significant in which the Syrians shot down 
uh, a Russian aircraft, an Ilyushin 20, and uh, the Russians, uh, at least the military, uh, blamed Israel for the responsibility, although uh, they were downed by their uh, brothers in arms, the Syrians. Yeah. So it's never simple, but communication makes it, uh, I think, possible both on the strategic level and the tactical level. Yeah. So looking at the international actors in Syria, uh, as we've just discussed, Russia is one of them. And the other obvious one is Iran, per, you know, plays probably a much bigger role in it. And with the election and inauguration of, of, the, of Iran's new president, do you think we're going to see a change in Iranian foreign policy? Um, and do you think that it's still possible that there will be a return to the JCPOA nuclear deal? Um, I think it's important to, uh, to go down the roots of this question. Like when we are talking of a new president in Iran, and now we are looking at the nominations of his ministers. Um, and then we are tempted to say these guys are hardliners and they will make uh, Iran's uh, line harder. I, I would propose a different way of looking at it. Since Iran is guided by the supreme leader, and he is the final call maker. Mm -hmm. uh, the nominations through elections or without, because the elections are also dependent on, wi on which nominees are approved. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they started with hundreds and they came out with very few remaining ones on, on the as finalists. But the emergence of the hardliners is an expression of an intent for hard line. So it's not that these guys will make it harder. Their choice and uh, nomination is an expression of uh, hard line from Iran's side. Since many of them are Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps uh, veterans, many of them have uh, hard line uh, past including statements and deeds. So there's no reason to think that Iran is running back uh, to, uh, to the agreement. And even if it does, we need to take it with a word of caution because you can't uh, enter the same river twice and JCPOA 2021 can't be the same as 2015 since mm -hmm. Iran since then accumulated uh, uranium at different levels of enrichment. Uh, uh, the, they were supposed to be capped on uh, 300 kilos of 3.67%. Uh, uh, they now have like 10 kilos of 60%. Mm -hmm. They have uh, several hundreds of 20%. They have tons of uh, 3%. They have new centrifuges. So if uh, the Obama team at the time spoke of uh, one year from decision to getting to a significant quantity uh, for uh, enrichment, we're now talking uh, about uh, much less. We heard our Minister of Defense, uh, Gantz, mentioning 10 weeks away. Yeah. That's, that's a pre pretty short uh, breaking distance if, if you want to tackle somebody 
on his way to the line. So I think we're heading into tough negotiation. We see a more brazen approach uh, at sea, like the attacks on the Mercer Street uh, tanker. Uh, you see quite an aggressive approach in Iraq against the, uh, against the American forces in Iraqi bases. And, uh, and so there's no reason to assume uh, a softer approach in Syria, and more so if funds are uh, flowing because of sanction lift, I guess that the, all the flower beds of Iran's uh, proxies will be flooded and, uh, and flourishing with those new uh, uh, potential funds. Yeah. So perhaps we can end with this question because what I promised you would be a 20-minute podcast and you rightfully said that it would not be. Uh, uh, we're well past that time, but I know that I and our listeners are extremely uh, grateful for, for your insight on, on this topic. And you just mentioned this, the, the attack on the, on the ship that, you, that killed a Romanian and a UK national. Um, mm-hmm. And more broadly, this kind of shadow war we're seeing at sea between Iran and in Israel. How do you see this progressing in the next couple of months? And is it important, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing yes, that the international community acts aggressively and differently towards this escalation compared to what we've seen from them so far? Um, I think uh, most Iran watchers uh, don't uh, see them as very adventurous. Mm-hmm. They portray them as, as ruthless, but calculated. So what we are seeing operationally is bayonet probing. And if they meet Mush, they keep on probing. If they meet steel, they pull back. Now, let's look at the last two years. Uh, we saw Iran strike Saudi Arabian uh, Aramco uh, installations, fields, and, and so on. Uh, Saudi Arabia was careful not to name Iran as the perpetrator. President Trump said, oh, it's Saudi's problem. Uh, there was no retaliation for this. And then uh, Iran got uh, even a healthier appetite and raise the bar on the attacks on American forces in Iraq. Right. All the way to the decision of President Trump to, uh, uh, to kill uh, Soleimani. After Soleimani was killed, uh, Iran retaliated uh, seriously. Uh, no uh, American fatalities in, in this Enel Assad uh, base but uh, there were some injuries uh, sustained. After that, the bar dropped and the, the brazenness of, uh, of Iran, uh, I think, decreased. So if you let them keep on going with uh, going after tankers, uh, you know, uh, limpet mines, uh, missile attacks, um, uh, boarding teams, all those and the international community does nothing. Or if uh, the UK 
releases an Iranian ship from Gibraltar mm -hmm. because it wants to uh, release uh, its own tanker from uh, Bandar Abbas or whatever port they were at. And if uh, uh, South Korea agrees to uh, defreeze the fund. Iranian funds yeah. to, re to release their own, so uh, well, it's it's very difficult to deter a bully by by uh, feeding it. Yeah. So I'm not uh, saying okay, let's go to war, but bullies understand power. They understand pushback. They're not uh, uh, risk happy. They 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 are not risk lovers. They are not gamblers. Mm -hmm. Um, but they try, and if you don't respond on time, they'll take it to the next level. Now, next level will be even more difficult to uh, to reprise. Yeah. So these these things, if we take it back to uh, to the clashes uh, over our border with Lebanon, you can see that uh, logic at play. Uh, Israel is signaling with fire that it won't accept some. Uh, some uh, behaviors. Uh, Hezbollah has signaled back with these uh, rockets, and now both sides are taking stock and trying to assess the appetite of the other side. And, uh, and uh, is there any, any additional signaling needed? Yeah. And, and that's an ongoing uh, thing. So I, I'm not uh, a great, um, let's say, fan of uh, speaking softly uh, to uh, people who kill your boys uh, because it doesn't uh, bring much uh, benefit and uh, bullies must, must, must be uh, addressed and faced. Yeah. And again, designated, sanctions, imp uh, sanctioned, imprisoned, and if need be, targeted. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time, for your insight. Thank um, you. I greatly appreciate it. I know our listeners do. Uh, so thank you again for joining. Thank you. Shabbat shalom.